Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. Disasters and crises tend to bring a focus to philanthropic action, and the situation in Ukraine is no different. In the Donors Trust newsletter earlier this month, we shared several giving opportunities for those who felt called to donate to help this attack on liberty in Central Europe. One of those opportunities was a rapid response fund set up by Atlas Network. In the first episode of Giving Ventures, we talked to Atlas President Matt Warner about Atlas's innovative efforts to leverage think tanks towards poverty reduction. Today, we're talking with another leader from Atlas, one who is on the ground in Europe and regularly delivering items into Ukraine. His activities are made possible through Atlas's Ukraine Freedom Fund, which has so far raised more than $1.3 million. On this special episode, I am excited to share my conversation with Tom Palmer and give you a first-hand account of what is going on in Ukraine and hear how those charitable dollars are being put to work. Now, just a note, you'll hear a bit of background noise as Tom talks, uh, and I hope you'll forgive that in this instance for us putting content ahead of the audio quality given where Tom is. All right, let's go. I am excited to be joined today by Tom Palmer of Atlas Network. By title, Tom Palmer is the George M. Yeager Chair for Advancing Liberty and the Executive Vice President for International Programs at Atlas. And, of course, by reputation, most of us know him as a globetrotting evangelist for liberty, for free markets, and for the prosperity that both can create. Through his books and speeches, he serves as a terrific spokesman for our principles. But Tom is a man of action, and uh, right now he is he's living that up and is on the front lines, making regular trips into Ukraine, delivering supplies and humanitarian aid to certain groups there, which we'll talk about, uh, all of which is made possible through a, a terrific fundraising campaign that Atlas Network quickly launched, uh, their Ukrainian Freedom Fund. So, Tom, maybe we start here. What exactly are you seeing over there? It depends on where you go, obviously. But one of the things that we are witnessing, the whole world is watching, is really uh, a genocide against the people. And what's remarkable here is not just, it's not a clash of identities as such, but an attack on a nation that has struggled to achieve a constitutionally limited liberal democratic government, liberal in the European sense, not so much the American sense, uh, and that is uh, under attack. The people I brought out last night uh, that we got out, two families, a lady and her daughter, and an elderly lady and her daughter and a cat, uh, are Russian-speaking, so we communicated not in broken Ukrainian but in broken Russian uh, from Kharkiv and from Cherniv both cities that are attacked by Putin and his army. Uh, They're the ones he's allegedly liberating, but they say, we don't want to live in a dictatorship. We want to live in a free society. 
Uh, so what we're doing with our partners in Ukraine and all across Europe is uh, securing needed supplies, getting old beater cars. I drove a 2002 Chrysler Voyager on the first couple of trips and left it with friends in Ukraine who use it for deliveries. Now I bought another car, 2006 Kia Sorento, uh, which I'm going to be driving in tomorrow. We load it up with all kinds of very specialized products. So not just the usual stuff, food or canned goods and so on, but when we know that a hospital needs uh, things for an oncology ward, uh, insulin, uh, and so on, we get it into the network, we then deliver it to where it needs to be. And then, rather than driving back empty, uh, connect up with people who say, you know, my mom or my sister or my daughter uh, is there. Uh, and finally, we loaded up one family, and then we went to the train station and said, who wants to go to Poland? And connected up uh, with uh, this mother and daughter who had escaped from Chernihiv. These people were on trains for uh, 19 hours in some cases and brought them into Poland and delivered them, I should say, helped them to get to where they needed to be, people who could help them to sort them out and get them into safety. Wow. There, are, you know, there's a lot of groups. We hear about Red Cross and Mercy Corps. There's a lot of groups over there engaged in important work. So, who in particular are you over there helping? Um, in this case, we're feeling a really a niche uh, market, if you will. So, I love those other organizations. You know, I've been a donor to Mercy Corps for many, many years, a monthly donor, and they do very good emergency work. Uh, but what we're doing here is dealing with people who are right on the ground. They know the very specific needs that people have, so people who work in children's hospitals and the like, and then also uh, bringing in goods to protect those people that most of those organizations can't get. So bulletproof vests, uh, uh, Russian Army snipers do pick off ambulance drivers and emergency workers. This really is total war on the part of the Kremlin. It is total war and they target uh, rescue workers, uh, hospitals, uh, and uh, schools and other places. And so those people need protection. So we bring in uh, non-lethal humanitarian protective gear uh, for them uh, as well. And that means also doing a lot of work making those things. Our partners here in Poland have been very uh, active, uh, basically building bulletproof vests for rescue workers who are being picked off by a Russian army of snipers. And, and a lot of the people you're working with are specifically linked to some of the, what, nine different think tanks that are over there, is that right? That's right. All these people have stepped up. And, and I'll, you know, I'll add one other thing. Uh, I've worked for many years with interns at organizations at Atlas Network and Katie One Institute and others, and I'm very proud of these people whom I met as quote-unquote kids, and now 15 years later they're young professionals, and they have stepped up really inspiringly to what needs to be done, sourcing materials, getting old cars, driving them across the border. There's just this regular activity, and it is the liberty movement helping uh, across the world, helping the liberty movement in Ukraine to help the Ukrainian people to survive and to maintain a free, open society, to have a society based on freedom of exchange, freedom of speech, 
all the things the American founders fought for and not be subject to a, an oligarchy or a dictatorship of the sort that Putin has, has uh, cemented into power in his decades of power in Russia. They don't want that in Ukraine. So uh, these partners are, they're awesome. <laughs> that's, that's just the word that comes out. They're just awesome. I watched uh, Matt Kibbe do an interview with uh, Natalia Melnick, the director of the free markets, one of the free market centers over there. And, you know, she's calmly in her living room having this conversation. And then there's air raid sirens going off in the background. And it really is remarkable that they're able to soldier on, if you will, uh, under is, those conditions. This is their country. And uh, Natalia and others said, we are, we are staying and we are going to fight for this. So uh, members of parliament who I know who had been through our think tank projects, and, and sometimes happens, they leave the think tank world and said, oh, I'm going to run for office, um, who are in parliament, who are uh, involved in this. And they are committed not merely to repelling this aggression, but to doing it because they want a free society. They want to live with freedom of speech and free markets and the ability to live your own life as you want and not as someone commands you to live. That's what this is about. And so their, their passion for the freedom of their fellow citizens comes through so strongly. And let me take a moment, by the way, to rebut uh, Kremlin disinformation. It's all around the world. This is a fight between Russian speakers in Ukraine and oppressive Nazi Ukrainians. Uh, this is an a absolute lie. First off, of course, President Zelensky, the Jewish president of an allegedly Nazi state, this is absurd on the face of it. But secondly, like these uh, ladies and their daughter that I brought out yesterday, uh, they're Russian speakers. Uh, from Kharkiv and from Chernihiv, uh, it's not about Russian speakers versus Ukrainian speakers or, or other languages. It's about a society where they can live together in peace. And the people who are being murdered uh, in disproportionately by the Kremlin's slave army are Russian speakers, the people they're allegedly liberating in Kharkiv and Mariupol and Chernihiv other places. And their view is either you become absorbed into our state or we exterminate you. Yeah, we've heard, I've heard from some people who, you know, I, I get where they're coming from, but they kind of make that point that this is a thing that's happening over there. We have so many issues here at home to deal with. I don't know if you want to elaborate any more on that. Like, what do you, what do you think when, when people kind of give that challenge? Well, I, 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 in some ways, I understand it, and I, and I do think that uh, you can make a case that the United States government shouldn't be creating a, a no-fly zone or shooting down Russian planes. I mean, that's a case to be made on its own terms. Uh, it's a separate case to then become a Putin apologist. You could say he's a monster and say, but I don't want the United States to go to war with him. But those are coherent positions. From the perspective, however, of anyone who loves liberty, setting aside what governments do, this is something citizens can and should be involved in. This is civil society standing up. And so uh, free market advocates from all around the world now are, are donating money 
Uh, we've raised well over a million dollars. Uh, we have other groups that we work with that are raising money from people. And why? Because they love liberty. When Kosciuszko came over to help the American Revolution, it wasn't to get paid for it. And it wasn't coming on behalf of any Polish government, which didn't exist really at that time. He came because he loved freedom. And you know, there's a, a, a saying that I've taken to heart. It's very important to me being here in Poland right now. From the 1831 uprising against the Tsarist tyranny, uh, their flag, they put Zanasha i Vasha Volnosh, for our freedom and yours. They were telling the Russians, they're not hating the Russians, they're fighting for the freedom of the Poles and of the Russians. And that, of course, is what they put the Polish squadron in the Royal Air Force on their planes. We fight for our freedom and yours. And this is very much a case the Ukrainians are fighting for their freedom and ours. That's great. That's, so you, you mentioned the money you've raised. Let's talk about the Ukrainian Freedom Fund there at Atlas a little bit. The initial goal was to raise half a million dollars. Uh, I think you're up at 1.3 now, thanks to the giving of some extremely generous donors. What specifically are those dollars making possible? And, and what more can be made possible if, if you continue to, to bring in more funds? Well, uh, let me backtrack just a minute. Yeah, we, we got some big donors who really stepped up to the plate. But I'm overwhelmed every single day on Facebook, on Twitter, on email. I get notices from people saying, I want to donate. And they send in $5,000, $100 or even $50, God bless them. God bless every one of them because every penny is going directly to our Ukrainian partners. Uh, just someone who gives $100, $100 is going to go to help our Ukrainian friends. And what we do is we listen to them. We don't know what needs to be done on the ground. We ask them, what do you need? They come up with their uh, list of things they want. We vet it to make sure everything is correct and also uh, we're very concerned about the law and so on, make sure everything is right in this regard. And then typically we have a European partner who says we'll receive the money on your behalf and then we will go out and buy that equipment or those supplies and get it directly to some partners in Romania, uh, in Czech Republic, in Germany, in Poland, and elsewhere. And so this has just been... We're just it really touches my heart how many people have reached out. And, and you know, they're far away. They're in, in Iowa or California or uh, wherever. And they say, I want to put $500 into this. I even got a $100 donation from a very elderly friend who's really can't afford it, if you will. But he said, I want this to go. And I made sure that $100 went to buy uh, bandages and medical equipment that's going to save lives. Is there, I can probably guess the answer to this, but is there any limit at what point the dollars don't become effective anymore? Well, this is about the fight for liberty. So as I mentioned, it's quite clear we're not alone in the humanitarian side of this with our partners. Uh, I go to the train stations and there are so many people helping out and people from Spain and Greece and Denmark and so on, Americans, lots of Americans uh, all over. Uh, what we're focusing on also, though, is to make sure the liberty movement stays alive. This is, we can't allow freedom 
to be one of the primary casualties. And so we are making sure, and we are holding some of those funds in reserve, that over the longer term, six months, one year, that the freedom movement is going to be there and to make sure that Ukraine is secures a future of individual liberty. That means independence for Ukraine from Russian invasion and annexation. And it means, in addition, that the Ukraine that is independent is a free and open society, freedom of religion, freedom of exchange, the right to own property and trade, the right to speak your mind, all those values of the American founders. All those things that we value and take advantage of and, and don't even realize we are every so single day. That, that's what they are fighting for. And I'll tell you one thing, people come up to me and they say they're inspired by George Washington and they're inspired by the American Revolutionaries. And they say, their fight, we're fighting it again. Yeah. As we wrap up here, you know, kind of going back to the situation on the ground, it's hard for me, it's hard for a lot of us to really understand what that looks like. We hear war zone, we see pictures on, you know, CNN or Fox News or whatever, and you see these terrible situations. You know, my kid, I was asking my kids, I was like, what questions do they have about all this? And they said, basically, is there any semblance of normal life? Do kids go to school? Are people going to the grocery store? You're clearly somehow moving around a little bit. You know, what does quote unquote normal life look like in the heat of all of this? Sure. Well, that's one thing that's very remarkable is that the, the combat is not over the entire country, at least not yet. So, Western uh, Ukraine. Uh, yes, there are children playing in the parks. Uh, there are kids playing pranks on each other. There are coffee shops that are open. People go to work. Granted, there are hedgehogs, anti-tank devices along the sides of all the roads, and there are checkpoints. Uh, They're very concerned about um, uh, Russian spetsnaz, special service agents coming in and blowing things up. Uh, but life is going on in much of the country, albeit with uh, heightened worry and concern, air raid sirens uh, and the like. Uh, but in other places like Mariupol, it is the middle of hell. Uh, constant shells raining down on you. Uh, really, it is an extermination campaign. And then also Kharkiv and elsewhere, and what the Russian forces are planning for uh, Kyiv, uh, this is annihilation. And I have friends who have lost family members uh, who were killed by shelling or just walking across the street with a bag of potatoes. Um, and I should point out, these are Russian-speaking friends from Donbass, uh, the, allegedly the ones that uh, Putin was liberating uh, from Ukrainian oppression. These are proud and patriotic Ukrainians who speak Russian. Uh, but yes, I have had a, a friends who have lost family members to this. And it's hard for them to, to keep on, but they say, what, what other choice do we have? And we will not live with Vladimir Putin's boat on our necks. Well, it is inspiring to hear 
the stories of hope that do come out of there and the way people are rallying to the cause, the, the work you're doing, the way people have stepped up philanthropically and making, I, I imagine you probably would be there anyway if there wasn't uh, the Ukrainian Freedom Fund, but I am glad that so many donors have been able to step up and support that work and support your energy, the energy of so many people to make sure that the story of freedom is not closed anytime soon in Ukraine. Thank you, Peter. And we are deeply grateful. And I can honestly say that every time I drive across on on my fifth one, um, I think of all the children, moms whose lives are going to be saved and who will live for many decades after I'm gone. That's why I'm here. Well, please be safe, but thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Thank you to the many donors who have helped support it, and we hope many more will through Atlas and through many other great organizations doing important work to to help the people there being displaced. Uh, Tom Palmer, be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed hearing that conversation with Tom as much as I enjoyed having it. He and I spoke back on Tuesday, March 22nd, and the next morning he drove back into Ukraine to continue getting supplies out to the networks and nodes moving stuff around over there. If you want to support this effort, you can make a gift to Atlas Network designating it for the Ukraine Freedom Fund. And over on the Donors Trust website, donorstrust.org, We have a blog post that shares some of the other giving opportunities that we've learned about over the past few weeks. If helping the folks over in Ukraine and in Central Europe is a cause you want to support, there is no shortage right now of charitable giving outlets for you. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode. Would love to know your thoughts. You can email me at tellmemore at donorstrust.org. And of course, you can look through our whole back catalog of podcasts at donorstrust.org slash podcast, where you can also sign up for alerts to get notified whenever we release a new episode. Of course, even better if you subscribe to Giving Ventures on your favorite podcatcher. We will be back with more new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a giver. And let's talk more soon.